It's a topic long discussed within the racing bubble, but now the talk is seeping in from the outside world. Why doesn't the sport have a national overarching governing body like the NFL or the NBA? Could such a thing ever happen? Should such a thing ever happen? We'll discuss that idea with a cross-section of industry stakeholders. What concerns would they have if such a model were to develop? It's a what-if version of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll sack. And they're off. As they move to the top of the straight, it's a hit-loving finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Now that the Triple Crown is over, that's often when we hear it in the gate, do a state-of-the-industry type of show. And boy, has there been a lot going on. A lawsuit looking to declare co-winners of the Kentucky Derby, a sharp upturn in sales at the most recent auctions, and of course, the fallout from the more than two dozen deaths at Santa Anita since the start of their meet on December 26th. In the wake of that latest news, and the many reforms that track officials have implemented as a result— Some in the mainstream media have started to call for a national overarching governing body to run the sport. Right now, it's state governments that make and enforce the rules, approve race states, etc., and the tracks work through the state governments, but otherwise are completely independent of one another. As we have detailed here on In the Gate, for the past few years, there has been legislation introduced into the U.S. House of Representatives that would establish a national arm of the government to set and enforce medication rules and testing procedures for racehorses. We've shown how that bill is likely to go nowhere, at least for now. But when California Governor Gavin Newsom grants the California Horse Racing Board the right to shut down a meet for health or safety reasons, and when influential people like Senator Dianne Feinstein and, yes, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, get involved, then you wonder if the climate isn't maybe starting to ripen for an overarching governing body of horse racing. Of course, if such a thing ever is to happen, a number of industry stakeholders would have to come together to make it happen. Each of those stakeholders has concerns and interests that would need to be satisfied. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay out what some of those concerns are in living, breathing form. We've invited three guests who represent broad swaths of the horse racing business. By no means are they the only representatives of their respective sectors, but they'll give you an idea of what it would take for everybody to work together if the idea of a one-for-all, all-for-one governing body is ever to happen. We've invited a former state racing commissioner, a current track operator, and a current horseman's group representative. From the state government side of things, we welcome Peter Burnett, who was once the chairman of the Virginia Racing Commission. Representing the track operators is Phil Ziegler of Emerald Downs near Seattle. And we also have with us Eric Hamelback, CEO of the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protection Association. Welcome, gentlemen. Let's start with the broadest question. Do you think in the big picture that horse racing would benefit from having a single governing body similar to a stick-and-ball sports league? Let's start with Mr. Burnett. Well, you know, I think that 
yes, it probably would benefit and make two observations about that. One is I think the 30-some jurisdictions that govern racing have been extremely protective of their right to continue doing that and their, and in particular their way of doing that. And there are probably about 30 different sets of rules that uh, horsemen have to get used to in terms of uh, or abide by in, in terms of participating in the sport. But th- these jurisdictions came about at a time when most of the activity of horse racing was exceedingly local, including attendance of, of its entire uh, gambling fans. Nowadays, this is the second point that I think would be helpful, is that we have with uh, all of our computers and electronics and TV and all the rest, the ability for folks to not be at the track and still effectively enjoy the sport and to do their wagering and the like. And a national system for that uh, could be very helpful. What about from your standpoint, Mr. Ziegler, as a track operator? Do you think the sport would benefit from a single governing body? Well, I think that in the broad sense, probably yes, although I don't know that we pay enough attention to the good things that we have now with the Association of Racing Commissioners International and model rules. And there are a lot of cooperative efforts between the industry and the different states and cross-licensing and things like that. And and I do think that we have a, a presence of cooperation between all the tracks that's active now and actually does a pretty good job. Uh, most of the model rules have been adopted in pretty much every state, and I think that goes a long way towards what we're looking to accomplish. Mr. Hamelbeck, what do you think from a horseman's perspective of that? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Phil, for bringing up the ARCI, because what I would I would like to bring about, and I know Mr. Burnett um, would agree, I think that, unfortunately, there aren't enough in, we might say, casual fans that don't understand the weeds of our industry that even know what the ARCI, Association of Racing Commissioners International, is. Obviously, those of us on this call do, and hopefully those who listen to the podcast will then be educated some, but what we have is each of the states that have an authorized paramutual wagering system, they're members of the ARCI, and and the ARCI is a template for each individual rule book. What I would like to also state is that when compared to rules such as an NBA, MLB, or NFL, one must understand that our rules are law. And the law is governed by each state. And while there are some variations, I certainly acknowledge that, what continues to be pushed incorrectly and the falsehoods of rhetoric that we continue to hear in mainstream media, as Phil touched on, the massive amounts of uniformity that we currently have is very impressive. When you consider that NUMP, the National Uniform Medication Program, has really only been in existence for six years, we have 12 of the 34 active paramutual jurisdictions in the United States are exactly the same, much different than what you hear from people who are pushing other agendas. 20 of the 34 
paramutual jurisdictions in the United States have adopted three of the four phases of NUMP. So again, the amount of uniformity that we currently have is not pushed in the media enough, in my opinion. And when you ask me, do I think we need a national governing body, my answer would be we have one, and that is the ARCI. Each state, no different than the adoption of a speed limit maximum, does have a right to change or vary from the model rule, but when you look at, and another comparison to something outside our industry, while speed limits, maximum speed limits may vary, the fact that you cannot drive under the influence in every state is fact. So my comparison alludes to the fact that if you look at all 34 active paramutual jurisdictions, performance-enhancing medication is completely prohibited. And again, when you're looking at equine health and welfare, something that we may touch on, the administration of Lasix, 100% regulated and also protocoled in the same fashion. So... I don't think we need another national governing body. I think, of course, there are always things that we could do better in a more collaborative way, and certainly when issues are raised, such as the most, freak, most recent bisphosphonate issue, our industry comes together swiftly and we act quickly. But when there are issues that are concerning or need further discussion, we take a pause and we try to do it correctly. Well, if a movement toward a national governing body ever were to really start, what would be your biggest concerns? Let's start with the Mr. Ziegler. Well, again, to some extent, we're, we're moving in that path already with model rules and cooperation. I think vet records and transparency is important as well. But, you know, I believe that we've done a great job with that already, and I think we need to continue on that path and keep looking at the science and keep looking at model rules and ways to make it better. And we have a lot of great experts in this industry that spend a lot of time, way more than I spend, on dissecting every medication and every dosage and what's safest for the horses and for the sport. And again, I, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that right now, and we're moving in the right direction. And I think this notion, again, that we don't have what we already have is false because we already have it. And we're already doing a lot of great things. Well, I know Doug O'Neill has been cited for a medication violation in one state where the medication level would not have been out of bounds in another state. And I don't want to make this all about medication, but Mr. Burnett, it does somewhat seem like, you know, the football field is a different size in New York versus Michigan. Is it possible to come together on this in the form of a national body? That's the big question. What do you think? Well, I, I certainly think it's possible. And I agree with the earlier comments about the effectiveness of ARCI. And, and the, the best example I can give you of that is uh, when I took my turn as chairman of it, I think about 2009 or 10, 
we had the, I would call it good fortune of, of banning anabolic steroids under our model rules. And there's no more anabolic steroids in racing in the U.S. that I'm aware of. And I think it's, it's an example of folks having a lot of respect for the model rules. And I think that that body could be a very effective umbrella national organization. I don't think it has to be something that's under the Department of whatever in, in Washington, D.C. And I think that the that, that, that medication issues and rules, that, uh, without focusing too much on them, do, do raise that issue that one state has one view that this level is okay with them, and for whatever reason, that's why they stick with it. I think the advantage of having a model rule that everybody is willing to adhere to is you don't run into those situations. And I'm not so sure that the science of, of medication is so controversial that we couldn't have common rules for the entire 34 jurisdictions that everybody could live with. For, all for the benefit of the horse, by the way. Well, I, I would just say that, I guess, coming back very to your original question as far as what, what would our concern be, and our biggest concern as horsemen, and, and again, representing almost 30,000 owners and trainers, we would need for a governing body to use scientific facts, basic equine health, and safety policies, and not be concerned about optics. And one thing that continues to frustrate me in coming back to optics is that phrase, perception is reality. I am, I am not a believer in that. I believe reality is reality. And we, who are in the industry, can't let optics um, or the perception of those outside the industry drive that for us. We have to be steadfast in using science, doing what is in the best for equine health and welfare, and continue to follow veterinary leadership, such as the AVMA and such in our world, importantly, the AAEP or the National Association of Racetrack Veterinarians. So for us, the importance would be to have a governing body that, that was populated with stakeholders, again, which we have now in the model rules process. And certainly, if any federal oversight ever needed to be discussed or as a possibility, what we should be looking to is the United States Department of Agriculture, not the current message which is coming from the Federal Trade Commission. So that would be my concern, but I would still double back and say if people were more properly educated on what processes we have now and what we go through now and how we look to science within the Racing Medication and Testing Consortium, doing pharmacological studies, pharmacodynamic studies, to learn where medications do or don't have any further effect on the equine athlete, those are the processes that we're going through now, and we need to spend more time on that. I think that comment raises really, I think pretty clearly, the issue of what mechanism is going to be most effective in avoiding optics and is going to be most likely to adopt reality and 
hardcore science and be capable of achieving some level of uniformity in the, both the promotion and application of various rules, whether they be for medication or, or other issues. And I couldn't agree more that you want significant stakeholders, you want credibility. And I think that, at least in my experience in Virginia, um, the commissioners are appointed by the governor, and the governor can have different views and different political objectives, and some governors don't know which end kicks and which end bites. And uh, I think it can be a little bit fraught sometimes with less experience than what most of us who are experienced in the business would like to see across the board. But I think it's how you pick that organization and what its reliability and what its commitment to reality is, as opposed to being influenced by political optics. We are going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, how necessary is a national governing body to act as the conscience and spokesperson for the sport, the way the commissioners of the stick and ball sports do? That's next when the In the Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. With so many of Thoroughbred Racing's safety and procedural issues really coming to the fore during the first half of this year, the question is whether we're approaching a tipping point for creating a national governing body for this sport, as exists, for example, in the UK, the British Horse Racing Authority. In this country, the sport is basically decentralized. To discuss this topic, once again, we welcome back Pete Burnett, retired chairman of the Virginia Racing Commission, Eric Hamelback, CEO of the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association, and Phil Ziegler of Emerald Downs in Washington. So beyond the health and safety of horses and riders, which we discussed earlier, how necessary do you think a national body is for acting as the conscience and the spokesperson for the sport the way the commissioners of the stick and ball sports do? Let's start with the Mr. Ziegler. Well, that, that, that's a tougher question, and I think we have racing on so many different levels and so many different states that even across different breeds that it's that's a really hard thing to do. I think at a major level, you know, Triple Crown Series and Breeders' Cup has a voice. And in the national um, awareness, you know, a lot of people pay attention to racing two minutes a year for the Kentucky Derby, and that's it. But here in Washington, I don't know that it would really make a difference if there was a national voice or not. I mean, we promote the sport here in the state, and the folks that come out to the track and enjoy it, I don't really think it would make a big difference if there was a commissioner sitting in an office somewhere in a different state. I just I just don't see that as being a big factor. Well, let, let me raise a question that my colleagues may have more familiarity with than I do. I, I recall very recently that a major owner of gambling facilities in Las Vegas was spending some time trying to get a statute in Washington amended to essentially prohibit some levels of internet gaming that would make it easier for folks to enjoy racehorse wagering and thereby, at least in the perception of this owner, pull away from the profits of the Las Vegas casinos that he owns. And I wonder 
what a national authority's impact on that kind of influencing, if you will, at an industry-wide level it could have. I worry that sometimes our decentralized system allows someone with some heavy-duty lobbying capacity and law influencing capacity uh, could well do some damage across the board that might otherwise be resisted by a uniform response. And, and I, that's about as much as I know about it. I'm just, uh, it, it, con- it concerns me that, that it's a little bit of David and Goliath on some occasions. What do you think, Mr. Hamelback? Would a national body act as the conscience of the sport? Well, I think we're turning the tables to discuss more of a PR sort of scenario. I think, once again, we have that entity now in the National Thoroughbred Racing Association. Obviously, they act in D.C. on certain fronts for us as a legislative lobbying group. But in essence, the establishment of the NTRA was to be that mouthpiece for the industry. Now, could they do things better? Of course. Could the National HBPA do, be- do things better? Of course. But the groups that I think are the national groups, which would include the NTRA, my office, the THA, the Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, and then essentially, although it is a state-run Horsemen's Representative Group and the TOC, the Thoroughbred Owners of California still act on a national scale. So I think that while our expertise is not in the PR and certainly not even more focused on crisis management, I do think our industry would be better suited to do more collaborative work within pushing a positive message which I do think would reach to Washington. But I agree wholeheartedly with Phil. If you ask the folks on the apron at Emerald Downs, they may not even know what the NTRA is. They may not know what the HBPA is. But I think from an instance where we've had these tragedies at Santa Anita, we could have done a better PR message unified than we did. I do not believe allowing the racetrack or a racetrack to speak for the industry uh, is the right thing for the industry. We put out several statements. The NTRA put out statements. So that that is, unfortunately for us, we get swallowed by greater media, and our message is not on the forefront until there's crisis. And that's unfortunate, with the exception, obviously, of the Triple Crown races and Breeders' Cup. So... I do think that there could be a a more unification and collaborative efforts when it comes to PR and not promotion of a a racetrack, promotion of the industry and our sport. That could be beneficial. As far as working together on something that Peter mentioned, that is a very touchy subject because, again, in our world, we're dealing with laws, we're dealing with contracts, And the first thing that anybody is going to try to capitalize on is antitrust issues if our organizations, quote-unquote, work together. Now, we can educate each other. We can talk about things that other 
other possibilities from other jurisdictions have done, but we can't work collaboratively in driving a contract or trying to put something together that's better for all of the individuals. That's that's been litigated, so we're very careful in that concern. But 100%, Barry, I think from PR aspect, we could work better. And I think we have the entity in TRA. We just need to do a better job collaboratively to get the message out. So bottom line, what do you say to the people who say, we need a national governing body for horse racing. What's the last message, therefore, that you want to leave our audience with regarding that question? Let's start with Mr. Burnett. Well, I think, as we've said throughout, ARCI, while not well-known, is performing a lot more of that function than the average racehorse fan knows. And I think it certainly, just like every organization is, perfectly willing to say that they could do things better. I don't think the ARCI would feel any differently. I wonder whether there are opportunities to expand that organization's scope at some level and perhaps some of the antitrust issues that uh, Phil mentions could be avoided through that organization. I don't know. That would have to be looked at. But I do think there is a certain level of national unity and starting with model rules. And I think there are some examples of where it has benefited racing overall, such as the anabolic steroids that I mentioned earlier. Maybe it's a matter of PR about the ARCI. I'm not sure. Mr. Ziegler? Yeah. And, you know, I think as we're all, I guess, for the listeners, this is not as interesting as you might expect because we're not arguing with each other. We're all agreeing. And I think that's an indication of what you find in the industry for the for the most part. We are all in agreement on these issues, and we work together, and getting that message out to the public is a challenge, but I also don't see you know, the national governing body, at least at my end here, it doesn't seem to be anybody really pushing for it on our industry, you know, our HEPA or our commission or our vets or our racing association doesn't seem to, there's nobody really pushing for that, so... You know, I know it's coming from somewhere and I know we have to deal with it. But as you can tell from this phone call and this podcast, that I believe the industry does have a good vehicle and we just need to concentrate on what we do and continue with the science, make it better. You're seeing tracks cooperating with each other with even wagering offerings and cross country bets and things like that. We are doing a lot of good things and we just have to continue to get that message out. And finally, Mr. Hamelback. Well, and thank you, Barry, and uh, Phil, and Peter. I'm certainly glad that, that we've had this conversation, and hopefully we'll be able to educate the listeners. But yes, I would first present that person who asked me that question or presented me with the need. I would ask them, are you familiar with the ARCI, and are you familiar with the process? Are you familiar with NUMP? the National Uniform Medication Program, are you aware that 94% of the paramutual handle within the United States operates under the Controlled Therapeutic Substance List, the very same list? That is uniformity. Uh, Again, the abolishment of anabolic steroids to the point where it is illegal to have it in the system. Obviously, none of us can say that 
it's not used. We've we've had a positive. It was public, but at the end of the day, there's a reason, and that reason is it's become a prohibited substance. Bisphosphonates is another uh, issue that we've drawn down very quickly and focused on. And I think if you try, and, and it may be a tall task, but you try to continue to educate and maybe, as Peter said, we need to do a better job of PR for the ARCI such that people understand. I mean, you don't have to look very far when you look at the Derby this year and you see what I would consider increased transparency of what a steward goes through. I mean, and that is something that people are starting to demand, and I understand it. We accept it. We appreciate it. Obviously, there are, just like in the human world, client-patient confidentiality at times, but when you're looking at the, the law or the rules of our sport, it needs to be transparent, as transparent as the law will allow for that jurisdiction. And so I think if we, if we do a better job at getting that message out, and we continue to have these conversations where we can get that message out nationally, we will be better off as an industry. We are an agricultural-based industry that is getting a lot of spotlight now because of something negative. And we don't have to look very far to see other partners in agriculture that have gone through similar things. And we have to work through them. We have to acknowledge the problems that we've had especially those highlighted in Santa Anita, and we have to continue to work towards a safety rating of our world that can be as close to zero as possible. And when you get to that point, when you look at the possibilities to get there, that's going to be helping the public see what our industry is, the driving force that we are economically, and hopefully they will then appreciate it. We appreciate very much all of three of you gentlemen helping us to kind of take stock, so to speak, where we are. And very much appreciate all of you, Pete Burnett, Eric Hamelback, Phil Ziegler. Thank you all so, so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank and thank you. you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thoroughbred Racing basked in the aura of a star-studded show in New York, culminating in a Belmont Stakes surprise. But across the country at Santa Anita, the number of fatalities since the start of the meet took another precipitous rise. While we'll never say there's a silver lining when this sort of thing happens, and one horse losing its life is still too much, the continued story keeps the stakeholders from getting too complacent when they see a Belmont Day with its glitter and such. The discussion to which you've listened for the past half hour or so is meant to ask from where the leadership will come. I respect the opinions of those who spoke or I wouldn't have asked them here, but I'm not convinced that the whole will emerge from the sum. Things get done when there's a chain of command that cascades down from the top with a president and a board and those below. With due respect, I believe in centralized governance if the sport is to find its goal at the end of the rainbow. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app.
And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.